Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Church. How are you doing today? Man, it is so good to be here with all of you. Hey, really quick, if this is your first time at any one of our locations, whether you're joining us at our Banta campus, our Franklin campus, our Garfield Park campus, here at the Greenwood campus, or if you're watching online right now for the first time, we want to say and give you a very special welcome to all of our first-time guests. Welcome. Thanks for being here with us today. Thanks for accepting someone's invitation to be here, and we've prayed for you, prepared for you, and planned for you. And so if you're not brand new, hey, welcome back. Good to see everybody. Uh, Last week, I had every intention to be here. Uh, My study break was over, had a fantastic time, and uh, we we spent our last week of our study break down in Georgia. I was preaching at a camp down there, had a fantastic time. Uh, But when we got back, Jackie and I ended up contracting uh, COVID-19. And so uh, that kind of threw us for a loop there. And, and so we've been in quarantine for 10, 14 days, whatever it was. And, and so we're feeling better right now. And I want to thank every single one of you who prayed for us, reached out to us. Our recovery is going super well. Not quite 100% yet, uh, but Jackie's here and uh, we are healthy. So thank you very much for your prayers and your support. And uh, can we just give it up uh, for Cody stepping up last week again, just doing a great job. Thank you, Pastor Cody. Just, he launched our series last week, this new, brand new series called No Regrets. And he began last week by talking about how we all have regrets in life. And he defined regret like this. He said, regret is basically any, a feeling of sorrow or sadness for something that we did or something that we didn't do. And we all have these regrets in our life, right? Like that relationship that you wish you would have never started. Anybody? <laughs> it's like, why did I go on that date? You know, Maybe you started a business and you're like, oh my gosh, why did I do that? You know, or, or maybe you missed an opportunity and you're like, oh gosh, why did I take advantage of that? Why didn't I study more in high school? Why didn't I go to college? I should have gone. I should have got that degree. And now it's too late. And so we have this thing called regret. I was doing a little research earlier uh, and Susie Orman, you guys know Susie Orman? She's like a female Dave Ramsey type of person. I know a little bit of a different philosophy financially, but uh, in 1990. She put $5,000 into this small startup company called Amazon. Anybody remember 1997? <laughs> Five. She just put a check in there for $5,000 and she was like, you know what? We'll just see this bookseller. Let's see if it can go anywhere. A couple months later, she sold it, made a couple hundred bucks. She was so excited. <laughs> if she would have kept that $5,000, in that Amazon stock today would be worth over six million bucks. You think Susie has any regret? 
she's doing okay though, okay? She's, she's not struggling financially. But man, we do, there's just, there's just things that we wish we would have done, we didn't do, things that we did that we wish we never would have done. And what we said in this series is, is it possible for you and I to reduce the amount of regret in our lives? And that's what this whole series is about. We're saying yes, it is. There are some things that we can do. And so that's what I wanna talk about over the next couple of weeks is how do we reduce the amount of regret in our lives? Pastor Cody did a great job last week explaining to us that one of the main reasons that we have regrets is because we settle. We tend to settle in our lives. We settle in relationships. You know, we say things like, all the good ones are taken, you know. I'll never find anybody else. I might as well settle in with him or with her, right? We settle in relationships. We tend to settle in our finances, you know. You're always gonna have credit card debt. I remember years ago, someone close to me told me, he said, you know what, you're always gonna have debt. Dave Ramsey doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, and not talking about business debt, I'm just talking about consumer debt and all just, just credit card debt. So just kind of deal with it and move on. It's like people settle in their finances. We'll always be paycheck to paycheck, you know. We'll never get ahead. People settle in a job, you know, they say things like, well, at least it's a consistent paycheck, at least there's insurance, right? You know, and so I don't wanna switch jobs. People settle in their character. I'll always be this way, you know, at least I'm not as bad as her, at least I'm not as bad as him. I know I've got my hangups, but everybody, you know, everybody's a sinner, you know? And so they settle into their character and they don't change. And there's all kinds of reasons that we settle. We settle because we've tried before and we failed. We settle because what if we actually succeed? We actually, many of us fear success and so then we settle because of that. Some of us settle because we don't feel worthy to succeed or worthy to change our lives. Last week, Pastor Cody talked about how some of us play it small and, and, and we don't have a big enough dream. Pastor Cody said we need to dream big. If we're going to live a life without regret, we've got to have a big dream. God wants to do amazing things through our lives. And he said the way to do that is we have to believe it. First, we've got to believe that God wants to do great things through our lives that he's got a plan for our life. Then we've got to get crystal clear on what that plan is. I love the passage that he used last week with Jesus and the blind men. Jesus walks up to these guys and he says, what do you want me to do for you? What a question. And they had an answer for him. What did they say? We want to see. Like they knew exactly what they wanted, right? What if Jesus came, to, came up to you in this moment today and asked you that same question? Would you have an answer for him? Would you know exactly what the plan was? This is what I want to do. Or would you say something general and vague and weird and be like, oh, well, you know, I could use some more money. I don't know. <laughs> like a lot of us, we don't even know what we want. And if we want to live a life without regret, we've got to get crystal clear. And then we've got to think beyond ourselves. Look, there's seven and a half billion people on this planet the dream's gotta be bigger than you. Right? It can't just be about little old you. You can't be a narcissist. There's enough of those running around. right? You gotta be think your dream's gotta touch the lives of other people. But all that was last week, and Cody did a great job, so I don't wanna re-preach all that. Today, I wanna talk to you about another reason why we settle. Before I jump into this content, let me just say this. This is hard. 
What I'm about to share with you today is difficult. It wasn't supposed to be the first message back from my study break, okay? <laughs> so I wanted to be a little bit nicer, but that got thrown off. Uh, so this is gonna be a little bit of hard content, and this might be hard for some of you to hear, but that's okay, because sometimes we need to hear hard truth in order to change. Now, let me also say this. This message I'm about to preach is not for everyone watching. It's for many of you, but it's not for everyone. So I need you to put your discernment hats on and say, is this one for me or is this one for my neighbor, <laughs> my husband, my wife, my kids, whoever, okay? And so just use your discernment. This message is not for everyone, but it can certainly be an encouragement for everyone, okay? So with that being said, we're gonna jump right in. Yes, we good, we good, we good? Okay, awesome, let's jump right in. Let's talk about another reason why I believe people tend to settle in their life and then end up living with a whole mountain of regret at the end of their lives. In your notes, I wrote it like this. We settle because we don't want to put in the work. We don't want to do what it takes to change our lives. I want to have an awesome marriage. I mean, I want to have one of those marriages that's just sweet. You walk through the door and there's kisses. It's just, you know, romance and all that good stuff and the friendship and I can't wait to hang out with you and how was your day and you're so good looking and I want to have one of those marriages. Anybody else? And so yesterday, Jack and I celebrated 22 years, 22 years. And she, she still is kissing on me. So something, something is working, something's working. But yesterday, because we're still kind of recovering from COVID, we both looked at each other and were like, it's our anniversary. <laughs> Happy anniversary. So yesterday was a little anticlimactic, but we have COVID. So, you know, I mean, we, we did. Okay. So, but, but I really want to have a good marriage. She does too. And here's what I realized about, you know, the last 22 years and trying to have this great marriage. And it's just, man, it's, it's hard. It's hard to have a good marriage. It's hard to have a bad marriage. Amen. Some of you are like, tell me about it. I'm on my third one. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard to have great relationships with your children. It's really hard, right? You, but you want it. You, it it's, it's hard to, to be in shape, to have a healthy body and a healthy mind. It's hard not to. But it's hard. It's hard to, to get to the gym and eat the proper foods. And I'm thinking about all this awesome stuff that I want. In my life. I want to have an awesome church. I don't want to have an average church. I want to have an awesome church. And I'm like, oh, if we're going to have an awesome church, we got to do this. We got to do this. We got to do this. I got to do this with the team and the staff and the people in the community. And all. It's I'm like, gosh, it's hard. It's hard to have an awesome church. It's difficult. I got to thinking about all these different areas of my life that I want to be exceptional. I want to have no regrets. And I'm like, dang it, it's all hard. Anybody else? That's why I wrote it like this in your notes. A life with no regrets requires determination. A life with no regrets requires determination. Because it's all hard. It's all difficult. <laughs> and then here's what else I noticed. It's easy to, to, to go the, 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 the other way. It's easy to be average. It's easy to be mediocre. It's easy to get a two cheeseburger meal with a large fry. <laughs> Just zip right through. You know what I'm saying? Anybody else? Maybe, maybe you're a quarter pounder person. You just zip right through. It's tasty. It's salty. It goes down smooth. 
It's easy. It's easy to, to take the path of least resistance, to eat the, the, the poor food, to, to not work. It's easy to sit on the couch and not go to the gym. It's easy. It's easy to scroll through TikTok and watch a million videos and five hours later, you've wasted your life, right? It's easy. It's easy. Have you noticed how easy it is to be average, to be mediocre? Jack and I, you know, we didn't have a lot of energy. This really kicked our butts last 10, 14 days. And, and so it didn't feel motivated to read, didn't feel motivated to do much of anything. We spent a lot of time in bed watching Netflix. Here's what I noticed about Netflix. When you binge, when you binge Netflix, which we never do, but because of COVID, we did. And, and they start the next show without you, without half asking you. I couldn't believe, it's like, wait, we didn't even have, a, we don't have the remote. Do you want to watch another one? They want us to watch another one. I guess we're watching another one. It's like Netflix wants you to be a loser. They really do. And so the next show starts and we're watching another one, you know? Like we're just a bunch of losers in bed. <laughs> like the world is wired up for you to stink. It really is. It really is wired up for you. Like he, and, and, and we have this thing inside of us as human beings to take the path of least resistance, to take, the, to take the easy way out. We do as humans. Now, again, this message isn't for everyone because some of you are, are wired differently and you're busting your butt. So use your discernment here. You know who you, this message is for. You know who you are. But for, 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 for most people, a great life, a life with no regret, a life of no settling, it requires a lot of determination. If we go back to the story that Pastor Cody introduced us to with, with the arrows from 2 Kings, Elisha the prophet, the man of God, the backbone of the nation of Israel is dying. Jehoash the king is distraught. What's he going to do without Elisha? So he goes to see him on his deathbed and Elisha gives him this strange request, take a bow and arrow, shoot one arrow out the window. We don't know why he says to do that. But he does it. Maybe he just wanted to see if he was compliant. I'm not sure. He shoots the arrow out the window. Then he says, pick up the other arrows and smack them on the ground. So Joash picks up the arrows and he smacks the ground once, twice, and a third time. And all of a sudden, Elisha is angry. He's upset. He's mad at Joash. He says to Joash, you should have struck the ground five or six times. But because you only struck it three times, God will, will give you a small victory. His intention was to, 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 to give you complete victory over your enemies. And had you struck the ground five or six times, that would have happened. Which is such a strange story. Like, he didn't tell Joash what the rules were. He didn't give him the parameters. But yet, he expected Joash to strike and strike and strike and to keep striking until he said, stop, that's enough. In the book, The Last Arrow, Erwin McManus points this out, and I agree with him. He says, it's clear that for Elisha, the fact that the king stopped striking the arrows was connected to his determination to receive the full measure of God's intention for him. I might have said his lack of determination. You see, you want to know what this series is really about? This series is about you and I experiencing the full measure of God's intention for our life. So that we don't get to the end of our life and, and, and have lived and have this mountain of regret. Oh, I should have done this and I should have done that. And why didn't I invest more here? And why didn't I spend more time with her? And why didn't I spend? No. We want to get to the end of our life and say, man, I went all out. I left it all on the court. No regrets. 
See, God wanted to do more through Joash than he did. But Joash was not in a situation to allow that to happen. He didn't want it bad enough. He lacked determination. See, here's how it usually works in our lives. And again, this message isn't for everybody. But you know who you are. Here's how it usually works. We come to a spot where we're not okay with a certain area in our life. Maybe it's our marriage. Maybe it's our finances. Maybe it's our relationship with God. And there, you know things need to change and get better. And then you start kind of figuring out what would it, what would it take to, to, to get better? Maybe with your physical fitness or, or your marriage. And so you start to make this list. Well, I'm going to have to get up earlier. I'm going to have to make more investment. I'm going to have to, you know, start to educate myself and read books and podcasts. And I'm going to have to stay up a little bit later. I'm going to have to work a little harder. And here's what we discover. That's a lot of work. And we don't want to do it. And so we stay right where we are. There's a word for this in the Bible, and it's a word I often don't talk about, and it's an old word, and it's the word sloth. Not the animal from Ice Age, <laughs> not, not, not the sloth, okay, but the character trait. You say, I've never heard of the character trait of sloth. Yeah, you have. It's, it means laziness. Did you know that the Bible talks a lot about this idea of laziness? Because humans really struggle with it. Let me give you a few quick points, a few quick verses. A lazy person, Proverbs 18, verse 9, a lazy person is as bad as someone who destroys things. A lazy person is cut from the same moral cloth as a vandal, as someone who burns buildings down, someone who destroys things. That's interesting. I wouldn't have put those two things together. How is that possible? Here's why. Because a lazy person doesn't do what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it. They don't take care of the checkbook. They don't manage their finances. So eventually, there's a breakdown in the finances. You see, a lazy person doesn't take care of the marriage. They don't make the investments. They don't, they don't repair the damage. They don't apologize. They don't say sorry. And, and so not in a day, not in a month, not even in six months, but over five years, the marriage breaks down because the lazy person didn't take care of business in the marriage. You see, a lazy person doesn't do what they need to do for their body. They don't eat properly. They don't drink the, the right fluids. They don't take the vitamins. They don't do the workouts. And so not in a month, not in six months, but over five years, there's a diabetes. There's a breakdown in the body over time, see? A lazy person is the same, is cut from the same moral cloth as a vandal. Because over time, laziness destroys things. Is that making sense? In another book, Ecclesiastes, same author, laziness, he says this, laziness leads to a sagging roof. Idleness leads to a leaky house. Why? Because you didn't pay attention every time, storm after storm after storm, year after year after year, you didn't pay attention. All of a sudden, the roof is sagging, the roof is leaking. Why? Because you didn't make the repairs to the roof. Can I ask you a question today? And it isn't about your roof. <laughs> it's about your life. What is sagging in your life? In what area of your life do you have a sagging roof and it's about to cave in? You're about to suffer a breakdown in some area. A relationship's about to be lost. A business is about to be lost because you're not putting in the work to make the repairs and do the maintenance. See, I think there's a pandemic of laziness in this country. I really do. 
I do. I was in uh, Pigeon Forge a couple weeks ago, actually doing my study break, and I was studying for this message. And I went to one of my favorite coffee shops. And uh, if you've ever been down to Pigeon Forge around Fourth of July weekend area, it is a madhouse. Do not go. Do not go. It is gridlock. I mean, in fact, we were trying to find a place to eat dinner. We went to Five Guys and Fries as a family. It took us two hours to eat burgers and fries. Yeah, that's how packed it was. So the next day, I'm at my favorite coffee shop, and I'm doing my studying and writing this sermon. And this is like 2.30 in the afternoon. They wouldn't let me inside because of COVID, which was fine because they had outside seating. So I'm sitting there, and I'm writing. All of a sudden, 2.30 in the afternoon, the staff comes out. The staff comes out of the, the coffee shop, and they leave. They lock the door, and they're leaving. I say, hey, where are you going? It's 2.30. Knocking off already? They said, oh, yeah, we, we, we're closing down for the day. The, the day. The, the, the strip in Pigeon, For- Pigeon Forge was gridlocked. There's people everywhere. There's money everywhere. I said, you guys are going to lose a lot of money. I know. I said, well, why are you doing this? They said, we don't have the staff to keep the doors open. So it's interesting. What happened? They all quit. Oh, why'd they quit? Well, you know, we're all getting a check from the government. No reason to, no reason to work. We lost half our staff. I don't know if you've been paying attention as an American. Here in Greenwood, Indiana, when you drive down the road, there's a sign in every store. We're hiring, we're hiring, we're hiring, we're hiring. Where'd all the people go? They're at home getting a check. Am I the only one thinking there's an epidemic of laziness in this country? Am I the only one? I'm going to get off that topic right now because I know I'm going to get some emails. And... <laughs> but man, this message, again, is not for everyone. But you know who you are getting that check at home. <laughs> but, but, we don't like to think of ourselves as lazy. Not me, right? I'm not that kind of person. And so what we do in order to not feel bad about our laziness is we make this, we create these things called excuses. And the excuses make us feel better about our lack of determination and our lack of effort and our lack of grinding in life, which, by the way, is what it takes to live a life of no regret. And so we come up with excuses. I wrote it like this in your note. We just justify it. We justify our laziness with excuses. Here, here, here's a short list. This is a short list of common excuses that I've heard from various types of people all over in my life. Number one, I don't have time to exercise. Number two, I don't understand the Bible when I read it. Man, Pastor Dan, you tell me to read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. I don't get it. I don't understand it. You think I understood it when I first started? <laughs> right? I didn't come from a wealthy family. My metabolism is slow. (laughs) Yours isn't. Alcoholism runs in my family. No one will help me out. I have ADHD. I'm too busy. I'm not smart enough. I don't have the right people in my life. Pastor Danny, you're connected to everybody. I wish I knew the people you knew. If I knew the people you knew, then I would have a good life too. Nothing goes my way. I mean, on and on and on and on. And what we do is is we create these these excuses to justify why our lives are stuck and and why we can't move forward. And and it's not going to work. 
Proverbs chapter 22, verse 13. This is, this is what lazy people do. The lazy person claims there's a lion outside. If I go out there, I'm going to get killed. I can't go to work. Now, to be fair, to be fair, back in these times, there were lions in, in, the, in the Jerusalems and the surrounding area. But they were lions in Jerusalem in the same way that there's sharks in the ocean. Like the, the likelihood of getting eaten by a shark is it, it, not likely, even though I'm deathly afraid of them. So we come up with these excuses not to go to work or not to do the thing that we know that we need to do. Benjamin Franklin, who was familiar with hard work, said it like this. He that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. Let that sink in. If you specialize in excuses, watch out. Because you're going to end up with a whole bunch of regret at the end of your life. If all you do is come up with reasons why you couldn't, then you couldn't. And by the way, by the way, some of these things are legitimate. Some of these, but that doesn't mean they can be used as an excuse. I mean, think about Helen Keller. If, if there was anyone who could use an excuse to, to basically do nothing with their life, it was her. But she actually overcame all of her handicaps and lived an extraordinary life. In light of her life, we have no excuse whatsoever. I remember when I was in high school, uh, I hated Spanish. I just, I don't know why, it just it wouldn't work in my head. And, 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 uh, and so I came up with this excuse that Spanish doesn't work in my head. <laughs> and I'm half Puerto Rican. <laughs> my mother is 100% Puerto Rican. She grew up speaking Spanish. My grandfather and grandmother spoke fluent Spanish. And I'm like, it doesn't work in my head. And so, and so I wouldn't study, and, and, I, and no matter how much the teachers tried to help me, I was stubborn, and, and, and it was just, a, I just had this excuse, you know? And so I did horrible through Spanish all through high school. And, and uh, you know, fast forward, uh, I'm now a grown man, and we have this great church with these awesome partnerships. Uh, one is in Colombia, a church called Church uh, Exodo Church, Pastor Angel in Colombia, and another partnership in Nicaragua, both Spanish-speaking countries. And when I go there, um, it's, it's fantastic, and, and I try to help, and Pastor Angel tries to put me in front of different leaders to, uh, to, to, to bless them, and all I can do is speak English. And every time I speak, I have to have a translator. What if I knew Spanish? What a blessing. That could be for me, for them. And so here I am, all these years later, with a whole bunch of regret because I made an excuse. In your notes, I wrote it like this. Excuses turn into regrets. Be careful about arguing for your limitations because you will get them. If you're always coming up with reasons why you can't do X, Y, and Z, be careful because you're going to get those limitations. Excuses turn into a whole bunch of regrets. So how do we get out of this? How do we work through this? It, it, listen, the answer is easy, but it is hard to apply. If we're going to overcome this, we've got to commit. If you're going to live a life without regret, a life without any kind of settling, you've got to commit. You've got to turn your shoulds into your must. People say all, this all the time. I should do this. I should do that. I should do this. They're shooting all over themselves, right? <laughs> I've heard it said like that. Okay. <laughs> You got to turn your shoulds into your must. I must do this. 
I must have a great marriage. I must be in shape. See, when you turn your should into a must, you get going. Vince Lombardi is a famous uh, uh, football coach of the Green Bay Packers, and he won the first two uh, national cha- uh, uh, Super Bowls. In fact, they, they took the award, they took the trophy, and they called it the Super Bowl trophy. They call it the Vince Lombardi Award. It's incredible. Listen to what Vince Lombardi said. I love this statement. He said this. Most people fail, not because of a lack of a desire. We all desire things. Oh, I want to be wealthy. I want to do this. I want to be in shape. I want to have a great marriage. Whatever. Not because of a lack of desire. We have desires, but because of a lack of, say it with me, commitment. It's the commitment to turn your shoulds into a must. One of my favorite Bible stories about commitment is the the story of Nehemiah. Some of you know the story. Nehemiah finds himself working for this foreign king. His home is Jerusalem, but he's not there because they've been exiled from Jerusalem because of their disobedience. But Nehemiah finds out that Jerusalem is a mess. The walls have been broken down. The city's burning. So he goes to King Artaxerxes and he says, hey, can I go home to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem to restore the honor of the nation, to restore God's dignity and God's honor? Amazingly, the king says, yes, you can go back. So Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem. He rallies the the, the troops, all the people of, of Israel, and he rebuilds the walls around Jerusalem. Watch this. In 52 days. It's an unbelievable feat. Now, there's more to the story than that. There are people who didn't want him to rebuild the walls, Sanballat, Tobiah, a bunch of other people. They came up against him. They threatened him. They brought an army against him. They were trying to deceive him, lie to him intimidate him. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 21 and 23, I want to read you a quick passage just to give you a picture or an insight into the absolute determination that Nehemiah and the people of Israel had to rebuild these walls. Check this out. We worked early and late from sunrise to sunset. No breaks. During this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor the servants, nor nor the guards who were with me, ever took their clothes off. Have you ever worked so hard and so long that you didn't even change your clothes? Not even for 50 days. Can you imagine how they smelled? (laughs) I mean, I wear three outfits a day myself personally because I can't stand, you know, stinking. (laughs) They didn't even take their clothes off for weeks on end. That's how dedicated they were. That's how focused they were on rebuilding these walls. Even when they went out to get water, they didn't even take their weapons off their bodies. Total, complete focus. Later on in chapter 6, Sanbal and Tobiah, they try one more time to intimidate Nehemiah. They threaten him. They scare him with foreign uh, armies. And I want you to hear what Nehemiah says in chapter 6, verse 9. Listen to this. This gives us an insight into the type of person he was, into the type of person you and I need to become. They were just trying to intimidate us, intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work from happening. Oh, but no. I continued the work with even greater, say it with me, determination. Even greater determination. The more they pushed against me, the harder I worked to get this done. And so they rebuilt the walls in 52 days. Ken Blanchard, Ken Blanchard is an author and speaker, leadership coach. I love what he said about commitment. Listen to these words. There's a difference between interest and commitment. When you're interested in something, you do it only when it's convenient. When you're committed to something, you accept no excuses, only results. Can I ask you a question today? Are you merely interested? 
in changing your life? Are you really interested in having a close relationship with God, having a better marriage, or are you committed? When you're interested, you dabble when you feel good. When you're committed, you accept no excuses. You work until you get results. You do what Nehemiah did. You work and you grind and you persevere until the walls are rebuilt. Three years ago, I read a book called The Wright Brothers by David McCullough. Who's, he's a great historian. He wrote a book called 1776, the story of the founding of our country. I love the way he writes and the details that he includes. I always knew the story about the Wright brothers. They invented flying, right? As a little kid, you hear about that? But I, when I read this book, I had no idea what these guys faced. The obstacles, the trials, the tribulations. I didn't know about the financial struggles that they had. I didn't know about the family problems that they had in their life that they had to overcome. I didn't know that they wouldn't receive any financial help, but they wanted to fund the whole thing themselves. I didn't know about all the problems they had with weather and mosquitoes down at Kitty Hawk when they were trying to figure out how to fly this machine. I didn't know about the 10, 12, 14 hour days that they were putting in week after week, month after month, trying to figure out how to fly the first plane. I didn't know about all that stuff. I didn't know that they went around to all the different companies to, who were building the car engines to try to figure out an engine for this plane. Every single one of them said no, so they had to engineer, they had to design their own engine and then build it to put it on the plane. I had no idea that they had to do that. I had no idea that they had people coming after them, naysayers, critics, people trying to stop them from doing this. I learned all about that in this book. Here's a picture of the brothers right here. Orville and Wilbur Wright. These guys were absolutely determined to figure out flight. And on December 17th, 1903, at exactly 10.35 in the morning, these guys down in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, on the Outer Banks, took off on their plane and flew the first flight 120 feet. It lasted 12 seconds. It's a picture of it. That same day, they would run it again and again and again, and each time they went a little further and a little further and a little longer, 1903, December 17th. Now, hang with me. Watch this. Just 35 years later, just 35 years later, the United States, Russia, were using planes to stop Adolf Hitler from taking over the world. Wow. Changed everything. No regrets. They went all in. Nothing could stop these guys. In your notes, I wrote it like this. Determination ensures that your dream becomes a reality. Last week, Pastor Godey did a brilliant job talking to you about the need to have a dream. You have to dream big. And you've got to be clear about what it is, and it's got to be bigger than your life. But if you stop there, it'll never become a reality. You've got to put in the work. This message isn't for everyone, because some of you have been busting your butt, and you know who you are. But many of us have not. Some of us have been taking checks, sitting at home, watching Netflix. <laughs> the dream will not become a reality. 
You can have desires, you can have good intentions, but they go nowhere. If you want to live a life like Nehemiah, you want to do something extraordinary with your life, like Orville and Wilbur Wright, it's going to take absolute commitment on your part. Abraham Lincoln said it like this. Commitment is what transforms a promise into reality. Not words. Oh, I'm going to do that one day, and I promise, and I'll do this. And I said, commitments. Turning your shoulds into musts. You see, I'm not interested in having a great church. I'm committed to it. I'm not just interested in having a great marriage. I'm committed to Jackie. I'm committed to figuring it out. I'm not just interested in being a decent dad. I'm committed to being a decent dad. Are you interested or, or are you committed? I can't make that choice for you. As your pastor, here's, here's the only thing I can do. I could challenge you and encourage you and exhort you and teach you, but I cannot do it for you. I'm going to go home and take care of my life. I'm going to eat my lunch this afternoon. Hopefully it's not a two-cheeseburger meal. But you got to make your choice. And i got to make my choice. Are you committed? Now, I'm thankful as we wrap up today. We are following the example of someone that was absolutely 100% committed. Someone who wasn't merely interested in you but someone who gave his life for you. Is anybody thankful that Jesus wasn't just merely interested in you today? He was 100% committed. He went all the way to the cross. In fact, the author of Hebrews explains it like this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse two. Because of the joy awaiting him, that's interesting, what was that joy? It was a relationship with you in heaven. Fellowship with you. Because of the joy that was awaiting him, what did he do? He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. What does that mean? We can't blow past these words, folks. Because of the joy that was set before Jesus being in a relationship with you, he endured the cross. Do you even know what he had to endure before the cross? They took a whip, a, a thing called a cat of nine tails, and they, and they got him down on the ground, and they whipped Jesus' back over and over and over. And this little whip had little stones and pebbles attached to the end of it to ensure that the skin would be ripped off of his back. Some of you have seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ. They whipped him until he had no skin on his back. Then they took a crown of thorns and they shoved it on his head. Then they took a stick, a rod, and they beat him over and over the top of the head. Then they took their hands and they pulled out parts of his beard. And then they, with their mouth, they spit in the face of the creator. And they mocked him incessantly. And that was all before they even brought him to the cross and put nails between his hands and his feet. But sure enough, that's what, that, that's what was next. And they drove those nails through his hands and through his feet. And he hung on that cross for hours until he finally died from suffocation. Don't just look over these words as if it's a sentence. For the joy that was awaiting him, knowing you personally in a relationship, he endured the cross, dis disregarding the shame. A lot of us have seen pictures of Jesus on the cross, and they put a loincloth over his, over his midsection. 
don't be fooled. There was no loincloth. He was 100% naked. He was exposed to every single person who was there that day. He was humiliated. He died a criminal's death in front of all who were watching. We get the word excruciating from the word crucifixion. We, we say things like, oh, I have excruciating pain. Where did that word come from? It came from crucifixion. It was the worst way to die. Why did he do all that? For the joy awaiting him of knowing you. Jesus didn't come to start a church, a bunch of churches. He didn't start, he didn't come to start a religion. He came to know you. He died for your sin so that he could know you personally. Have you put your trust in him? I'm not asking you if you're joined a religion. I'm not asking you if you join our church. Do you know Jesus? Have you allowed him to forgive you and wash you of your sin? If you'd like to do that today, I'm gonna to say a simple prayer. It's a, it's a prayer of faith. A child can say it. Take these words, talk to God, just like, almost as if it's just you and him in the room. Express faith to him, and I promise you, you will become his child today. You'll be forgiven of your sins, and you'll receive eternal life. If this moment is yours, step into it right now. Pray this prayer. Just say this to him, dear Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you for paying the penalty I should have paid. Thank you God for mercy and grace. for covering my sin. Jesus, I ask you to cleanse me, my soul, wash me. Make me as white as snow. I turn to you in faith. I place my trust in you. I believe you died for me and you rose again so that I could be forgiven. I ask you to be my Savior, my Lord. From this day forward, teach me to follow you, to obey you, to love you, and to tell others about you. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Can we give God's glory, church? amen? Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, our church wants to get you started with a little starter box. We call it our save box. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Inside this box, there is a Bible to get you started on your new journey with Christ. There's some information about small groups, baptism, and there's also a coffee mug in here to say congratulations on putting your faith in Christ. You can text the word SAVE to 65248 and grab one of these at your campus outside of the information desk. Or if you're watching online, you can put some information in there and we'll send one of these to you in the mail. One more time, church, can we give God glory? Amen. Nice and loud. Will you pray with me? And then we will dismiss to our local teams. Heavenly Father, help us to live a life of no regret. Help us to, to go all in, to commit, to hold nothing back. Help us to stop making excuses with our lives so that we can realize all that you would like to do in and through us. 
the full intention of what your plan is for our life. Help us to dream big, to believe that you wanna do something powerful in and through us and to be willing to take the actions necessary to see that vision become a reality. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Right now we're gonna dismiss to our local teams. God bless you guys. See you next week. Bring a friend.